If you have a Bible with you this evening, perhaps you could turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be reading together in a moment. But I don't know how you are on the scale of 1 to 10, but let me ask you a couple of questions, if I can, just as we kind of prepare ourselves for what we're about to hear. Is there anyone here who has a growing sense of expectancy? Now, I'd like you to be honest. Because I think sometimes as Christians, we say things that we want to be real, but they're not quite real for us. Okay? So when I say, have you got a growing sense of expectancy, I'm not talking about that the gas bill will turn up on Tuesday. Okay? Or that your situation in work will not change by Wednesday. But do you have a sense that the Lord is doing something? And that that is something that you're invited to and something that he wants to engage with you in and something he's inviting you to. I believe that we are, as a, as a community, in fact, I think it's happening throughout the, the nations at the moment. The Lord is wanting to invite his church into something more, something more than we've known, something more than we've experienced. And the difficulty with that, although we say yes and amen, is sometimes when it's unusual or it's different or we haven't been that way before, sometimes we can be a little bit hesitant. And it's important to look back over our lives and realize that there have been seasons when actually what God was doing was something new and perhaps we did not understand it at first. But as our hearts began to be calibrated and marinated in the new thing the Lord was doing, we found ourselves caught up in a new adventure and a new experience with God. Because the Bible teaches us, you know, for us as Christians, that we cannot live a stagnant life. It says that we are ever-changing Say to the person next to you, that's not ever moaning. It's ever changing. We are ever changing. In fact, I would say it's almost impossible to be somebody who's walking in relationship with Jesus and not be consistently changing. There is something about his nature and character that I find exceptionally appealing, but it's highly challenging. It seems to me that Jesus never rests in the sense that he's not doing something. He's always leading us to life. He's always leading us to more. He's always taking us into the deeper things of God. And the Holy Spirit is our greatest companion for that adventure. Because everything that's known about God, he makes available to us. And we start to walk towards some greater experiences with God. So it's right for a Christian to be expectant. That's why we cannot live in disappointment. We cannot live in disillusionment. And cynicism is off limits to the Christian. Now you and I have perhaps come across some people and they've called wisdom or cynicism, they've called it wisdom. Do you have somebody in your life like that when you say, oh, I feel the Lord wants to do and they they go, ah, but. Do you have anyone in your life like that? I feel the Lord wants to teach me, ah, but. They've got more buts than I don't know what. There's always a reason why it can't happen. And what happens is that kind of approach, sometimes we just say, well, you know, it's just common sense or it's wisdom. But what it is is cynicism. And people are trying to be practical and they're trying to be pragmatic about certain things. But actually, for the Christian, we are called to expectancy. Let me tell you why. This is what the scripture says. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. Nor has it even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. That's no eye, no ear, no heart. We are all on this adventure of discovering the greatness of God. And so we need to stay expectant. How many of us find that challenging? 
It's difficult to stay expectant. It's difficult to stay full of the sense that God is doing something fresh and God is doing something new. And uh, I just want to tonight talk a little bit about that. And what about enthusiasm? There's a wonderful word in the scriptures. I think it's a, a word that doesn't get used enough. It's called entheos. To be enthusiastic is to be full of God. To be full of God. And we need to be enthusiastic. Is there anybody enthusiastic about tonight? We need to be enthusiastic, not just expectant, but enthusiastic. And what does that mean? We need to move from a passive position into a proactive engagement. You see, this is not a theater where you're the crowd and we are the act. Okay, we are a community of lovers called and brought together by the love of Christ, by the power of his spirit. We've been born again into a brand new family. Don't you think that's good? How many of you have been trying to trade up your family for years? This is it, I'm afraid. Born again into the brand new family of God. And, and we come enthusiastically. We meet enthusiastically. We worship enthusiastically. We want our worship to be full of God. Full of his blessing and full of his goodness and full of his joy and full of his power. Another thing that I think is important to say that we need to have a very clear perspective about what really is and isn't important. Can I ask you a quick question? Is there anybody who gets caught up with things that don't really amount to anything? Have you ever spent a lot of your time worrying about something that never happened? Come on, give me a wave if that's you. What if you could redeem that time? You know those sleepless nights where you thought that wouldn't happen and it happened? You got the job? They were a little late with sending the letter or it got locked in the post. And there you were questioning God and worried about your finances and anxious about your circumstances. I wonder how much redemption is necessary in your soul to things that never happened that you spent loads of time thinking about and concerning yourself with. And what about this? What about the temporal things that consistently take your attention? The Bible says, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. We are encouraged to live beyond the temporal. And how do we do that? How do we live this glorious life enthusiastically and expectantly? Well, I think this is the way we can do that, by keeping eternity always at the forefront of our reality. When I look at the New Testament and see how the first century disciples lived, they were consistently believing that Jesus would come back any minute. They lived postured with that kind of thought. They lived with eternity at the forefront of their reality. Now, do you live like that? Do I live like that? Because actually, however great this life is, or however bleak this life has been, at some point it will end. But you and I who belong to Christ will spend the rest of eternity loving and adoring and worshiping him. And it's important that we don't get distracted by the temporal and lose sight of the eternal. And the fourth thing that I want to just highlight to you tonight is that we have been entrusted. Do you know that God has more confidence in you than you do? He has given you his kingdom. I wouldn't have given it to you. But God believes in you. He has entrusted you with the most precious thing here on earth, and that is the reality of his presence and the extension of his kingdom. You are a kingdom carrier. When you walk into a room because you carry his kingdom, possibilities open up in the midst of problems. 
because you're a kingdom carrier. Paul the Apostle writes it this way. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. I prefer my colloquial version, cracked pots. Because I've been around the church for 35 years and there's quite a few cracked pots, isn't there? Not crack pots, cracked pots. God has put inside of you the most glorious reality, his kingdom come, his power, his beauty, his majesty, his goodness, they preside inside of you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You carry all the possibilities of heaven here on earth and you carry them in your weakness and you carry them in your lowliness and you carry them in your human frame. We have been entrusted. God has entrusted us with a treasure that's beyond comprehension and that is his presence and his power here on earth. Amen and amen. That God would so believe that you and I could carry his kingdom in such a way and entrust us and entrust to us the extension of that kingdom. I'm excited about that. Because if you're anything like me, you have a lot of self-doubt. But actually, this is what the Apostle Paul says. Greater is he who is in me. He also echoes these words. I can do all things. Now, some of us just stop there. But I can do all things through Christ who abides in me and strengthens me, who reveals the kingdom to me and uses me extensively to explore the possibilities of the glories of God. And for us to be handpicked and chosen to carry his presence in such a way, I think is the most phenomenal thing of what it means for us to be Christians alive here on the earth. I want to be a good steward of his presence. I want to make as much room for him to have his way in my life as possible. I want nothing in the way of all that God wants to do and say and be for me. And I want to turn up in my ordinary everyday life with this extraordinary reality that the God who abides in me has the power to change everything around me. All of that... All of those wonderful thoughts, and I think they are wonderful and maybe too lofty for us sometimes to fully engage with, are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Perhaps you could read it with me. We're going to read from verses 24 to 27. And really, this is the Apostle Paul helping the church in Corinth to understand that for the Christian to be stagnant, to be stale, to not always be on pilgrimage, to not always be going on the adventures that God has for them, is not permissible. For we are consistently changing, whether by default or by design, the God who is at work in us will consistently draw us to the fullness of his kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 9 verses 24 to 27, it says this, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Therefore, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do not run like someone running aimlessly. Do you ever think sometimes you're living aimlessly? You haven't got that clarity, that sense of eternity, that sense of enthusiasm, that sense of application to the way you live your life. It says, do not, therefore do not run like someone aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. I have an opponent. That's what he's saying. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. 
What Paul is saying is we live each day of our lives with a goal. And God's desire for us is to consistently grow and consistently become everything that he has indeed destined us to be. And Paul likens that process to a race. Now, I don't know if you've heard this phrase. It's not around too often these days, but it was called in my generation, the rat race. Does anybody remember that phrase? Now, that was a a rat race where everyone's pushing and shoving, trying to be somebody. I don't think Paul is referring to the rat race. But if you think of life, life is like a race. And sometimes we start out really enthusiastically in our spiritual journey. You know, often people say to me, you know, when I first came to know Jesus, I was so in love with him. And now I'm a little bit more mature. Uh Uh-uh. My survey says something's gone wrong there. If that was what we call in the church the honeymoon period, can you imagine what the marriage was meant to look like? If you were so in love with God at the beginning and that was your starting point, can you imagine how mature that relationship can become? What's cut in on you? What seized your heart? What distracted you from that? How has your first love become so covered up by other loves that you can't really see God clearly anymore? Paul says we're all in a race. And it's a race that matters. It's a race to discover and to explore the fullness of who God is this side of eternity. And you know, as we seek and intend our hearts towards that, we start to come into something glorious. The momentum of the Spirit begins to breathe life over us and we start to become all that God has intended us to be. And the truth is, in this life, whether you want to or you don't, it's not the rat race (laughs) that we have to engage with. It's the race. And it's the race to the finish line. And the finish line is not the end of your life. The finish line is when he comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We have to keep that eternal perspective at the forefront of our lives. And doing a little bit of kind of training over the years about vision and various things, people always suggest to me that if you keep the end result in mind, then every decision you make becomes clearer. Say, for example, I wanted to be thin. Now, if the end result is that I want to be thin, when you offer me a cake at the end of this service, and I'm not prophesying over anybody, okay, but please, just if the Lord is speaking to you, just be obedient. If my end game is to be thin, then my decision has been made, hasn't it? Because I am predetermining that I am walking with God I'm walking with my own kind of sense of will and purpose to have that end game. If I don't have a clarity about how this all ends, and I'm not just talking about my diet, I'm talking about eternity. If I don't have a clarity about that, then I will make some very tough choices on the journey. I will be distracted by my soul or my body or my flesh or a circumstance or a person. And I love Paul because he makes it all very clear to us. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. If your end result is you want to be with God in glory, then live that story today. Live in that reality today. What are you waiting for? Another touch from heaven? Has he not saved you? Has he not healed you? Is he not transforming you? You've been touched by heaven. God has done something great in your life. You already know that God is real and powerful and has the capacity to change everything about your life. 
you have evidence to prove that your destination is not a fallacy, but a reality that he is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. That means my choices are clear today. That means my mind is made up. That means I'm facing in that direction and I am not distracted by the difficulties of life. So how do we live like that? Because so often when we talk motivationally about living intentionally, we start to get into human effort. And I have noticed something about human effort. Perhaps it's just me. It will only last for a few days. Have you noticed that you make yourself many promises you don't keep? Anybody like me? I know we've just come out of a new year and I hope you haven't made any New Year's resolutions. I hope that you've made some New Year's restitutions. Okay, but actually by now, many of them have fallen by the wayside because the art of good intention without application doesn't produce anything. Isn't that true? And human energy and human resources are limited in their capacity to take us into the fullness of God. But look at verse 4 with me. I want to talk to you about some things tonight that I think are hidden in this text that will be helpful to us as we live with that kind of perspective. Growing and flourishing and becoming all that God wants us to be. Verse 24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Now that sounds like a very logical thing. But you know there are people here... Who's are, who are in the starting blocks and the whistle has gone and you haven't started moving. There are people here who've got stuck. Some of us are waiting for permission to come alive. Permission has already been granted for you to come alive. Okay, Jesus has given you that. There are some people here who started out and we stumbled. And instead of getting back up and trying to continue with what God has placed before us, we've been sulking for the last 15 years. And if we're really honest, we blame everybody else but ourselves. You may be in a race, but you're not running. There's some of us who've got stuck because a marriage or a relationship fell apart. That was our forever thing, and that forever thing has become a sometime thing. And so we're no longer in that, and we're questioning the goodness of God And we're analyzing where it all went wrong. Do you know, I find more and more times when I think about this, that people start out with great intentions, running the race for God, but actually life cuts in on them. Things happen. And those things begin, if we allow them to, to affect the way we live our lives on a daily basis. If you've been hurt, it's very difficult to be expectant. If you've been rejected, you're going to find yourself trying to organize your relationships so that you don't get hurt again. How can you live freely? How can you run gloriously? So we're all in this race. But some of us are casualties to it. And Paul says to us, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? In other words, keep going. Do you know the best advice I can give sometimes people in counseling is just get up. The best thing you could do tomorrow. I know you're full of anxiety and depression and defeat, but tomorrow get up and you have a shower and you brush your teeth. And you believe that what God has promised you is going to come to pass, even though you have no idea how he can make it come to pass. Sometimes all God requires of us to do is to turn up. The rest of it he will show up in and start to explain to us his purpose and his plans. You know, you're looking to run marathons and you can't get out of your bed. The world has encroached upon you. 
Arise, shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen on you. Awake, awake, O sleep, arise from the dead and let Christ shine on you. I don't care how you got put down. Get up in Jesus' name. I don't care how you feel that you're disqualified. Get back in the race in Jesus' name. It doesn't matter what went wrong. What matters is where you're going and what it's all about and who Christ is for you. Because without that clarity, you will allow the world to redefine your reality and the plan and the purpose of God will elude you for the rest of eternity. We are all runners in a race. Are you ready to start running again? Are you ready to start dreaming again? Are you ready to start hoping again? It says here, but only one gets the prize. And when I first read this, I thought that just, that already I feel defeated. Because you know, as you can see, I don't look like the fastest person in the room, do I? But that could be deceiving because actually, when I've run away from the police, many times they've never been able to catch me. And um, that's just the testimony of the Lord in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's a joke, by the way. It's never happened. But some of you are now praying and interceding for me. Thank you. Keep, keep going. That's good. Only one gets the prize. But you know, when you look at a race and you've seen them on television, you notice that there are some people who are clear favorites. Isn't that often the case? And I think in the kingdom, sometimes there are people who are clear favorites. You know, I've been around Christianity for 34, 35 years now, and there are some people who start out really well. Oh, they're going to change the world. And three years later, they can't even change their mind. The race is not to the swift. It's not to the strong. But you know, those who are intentional about moving and keeping moving in God will win the prize. It doesn't matter whether you're first or last in the race, there will always be a prize for somebody who's in the race. That's the nature of God. So there's not one prize because the prize is Christ Jesus himself and he is more than enough and incredibly sufficient to meet all our needs. But Paul adds to verse 24 how we need to live in posture of that reality. He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. In other words, run with expectancy. Run intentionally. We are encouraged by Paul here to keep the prize in mind. In other words, if we lose sight that this is all about Jesus, then the default will be that it becomes all about me. If I keep my heart and my life always orientated to Jesus, I will grow, I will change. I will be moving in the things of God. I will be flourishing in the purposes of God. And this journey, this race that is set before us, this ongoing progress that's necessary to be fully alive and engaged with God's purposes has an inward landscape and an external landscape. You see, if I am walking with Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit should be increasing in my life on a daily basis. If I am walking with Jesus, I should have peace. That doesn't mean I don't have problems. It just means that I have a real sense of the presence of God in my life. If I'm walking with Jesus, and here's the bullet, are you ready? I should be more joyous at the end of the journey than I was at the beginning. Amen? If I'm walking with Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, self-control, all of that, should be growing and flourishing in my life. That's my internal landscape. 
And I wonder how you're doing with the fruit of the Spirit. I think so often in the Pentecostal church, we're a little bit excited and excitable about the gifts of the Spirit. But you know, the gifts of the Spirit are gifts. The fruit comes from abiding. It comes from relationship. It comes from offering yourself to God on a daily basis. It's the building of the character and the nature of God in the substance of your human form. God desires you to have great gifts, and many of us do have some of them. You know, some of us are one-talent people, others are two, some even have five. I think that's a little bit greedy, but there you go. But you know, you can have all of the fruit of the Spirit. The gifts are given by God according to His ordinance, but the fruit is produced in us according to our relationship with Him. You have an internal landscape. I hope, I pray, I believe, please God, that we are all growing in the fruit of the Spirit. I wonder, I often wonder this, what fruit of the Spirit is God working on in me right now? Because, you know, sometimes I pray prayers and I forget them. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? Oh God, just make me joyous. And then problems turn up. Have you ever had that prayer? Oh God, I would love to, to have this real sense of joy. And then, you know, you find out that there's a diagnosis from a doctor or somebody has done this or this hasn't happened. And we look at those two criteria and we think, God, where is the joy? And God would say, it's in the midst of that that the joy is fashioned and formed inside of you. Because joy cannot be circumstantial. It's not attached to your circumstances. It's attached to your God. He is a joyous God. It's his nature to be joyous. Some of you didn't get the memo. God is happy. God is happy. He's a joyous God. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Oh, dear Lord. And his joy, hallelujah, thank you. His joy does last forever. But listen to me, church. His joy is part of his nature. And it's his nature that is forming in us when the fruit of the Spirit is at work in us. Yes? So I pray one thing and a circumstance turns up and I think it looks like the opposite. But you know, every time you ask the Lord to do something in your life, You've got to realize this, that God is a master at producing the right circumstances in your life for that which you have sought him for to come to pass. Anybody ever prayed for patience and then you're stuck in traffic? Oh Lord, I just want to be patient, you know, and I, I love these wild notions, you know, I'll just, sometimes I do this here in London, I stop doing it because nobody ever stops and lets me through, but I would hold the door open for people. And four hours later, I'm still holding the door open for people. You know, I realize that <laughs> that doesn't happen necessarily here. But when I first came to London, I would let people out at junctions, you know, on the road. Well, you know, it, it, that's what we do where I come from. We're nice people. We're not all in a hurry to get somewhere. And I would say, go on. Go on. Go on. And they're like, there's a trap here. Something suspicious about this. Is he going to run into the side of my car when I come out of this junction? But you know, when I was trying to be kind to one person, I was infuriating a whole bunch of people behind me. I mean, I didn't know there was such a variety and spectrum of horns until I came to London. There's like a melody being played behind me as I'm seeking to be kind. And I would say, God, just make me, make me, God, make me more patient. <laughs> when you pray for patience, you will have frustration. That patience is formed in you through some frustration or other. 
But it's so wonderful to think that the Lord who began this work in us keeps on working in and through us until we become more like Jesus. I am so heartened by that. I know that he's the alpha. It all began with him and he's the omega. It all will end with him. And everything that happens through that whole spectrum is about me living in relationship with him and allowing him to form in me. So you have an inward landscape where God wants you to grow. How are you doing on that? I mean, if we were to do a little straw poll on joy, would you be two? Who would be a six? Give me a wave if you're a six. Now, I can see your faces, so don't lie. Now, I know what's happening here, because this always happens when I talk about joy. Christians say, Pastor, my joy is deep. Now, we're going to have to buy you an airplane ticket to Australia to find it. That's how deep it is for some of us. If you are truly joyous, it'll show up on your face. It will turn up on your countenance. It'll be evidential in the way you interact with people. Amen? Amen. Don't give me any of this deep joy. It's deep. It's really deep, Pastor. Well, let's get excavating and find it. Let's dig it up from the grave and bring it back to the surface. <laughs> because joy gives us strength. Here's how joy gives us strength. The world is a difficult place to live in. But if you have the joy of the Lord, you wake up every day expectantly, don't you? And it doesn't matter how bleak it gets. You are so blessed. Your blessedness blitzes your bleakness. Write that down. I've never said that before. That was profound. Your blessedness blitzes your bleakness. Do you want to try and say it? Your So it is deep, isn't it? We might need a shovel to find it again. <laughs> so we are called to live expectantly. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? And yes, some fall and not everyone finishes and some are hurting and some are hoping, but only one gets the prize. We want to live with that clarity. God, you are becoming more and more the joy of my life, the destination of my soul, my consistent abiding and preoccupation is to be in your presence, God, and to enjoy you forevermore. I want to run every day of my life, however painful sometimes it feels, however difficult sometimes my circumstances are. I want to want, run to get the prize. And you're working in me. You're taking territory in me, God. There's a race happening for the fruit of the Spirit to be formed in me. But Lord, you're also working through me. It's important that God just doesn't work in us and we allow him to work through us. You know, one of the things I've noticed about the kingdom of God is that if you try and keep it, you lose it. Now, we live like orphans sometimes because we get blessed by God. And if we're really honest, we're trying to accumulate blessing. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, so often in our minds, we've been so impoverished of blessing, whenever blessing comes our way or the Holy Spirit moves in a particular way, we, we just want to hold on to what God has. But you can't hold on to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit holds on to you. Okay, what we turn ourselves into is a reservoir. We say, God, just fill me up, Lord, fill me up, Lord, fill me up. And God said, well, you know, that's really good, but actually it's all flowing over the edge why don't you just poke a hole in the wall of your heart and let something good flow out to somebody else? 
If you want to see the blessings of God increase in your life, give them away. Be a blessing to people and you will become a blessed person. So whatever God is doing in you, God is also going to do through you. So we have two landscapes, the internal one and the external one. And I believe for us to navigate that and to live with the reality of that, we need to be intentional. There is a prize at stake here, and our prize is the Lord Jesus himself. And we need to live expectantly. Can I just say something about this? I may not get through everything tonight, but I just want to say this tonight. You know, I have a conviction. Let's call it a conviction. It kind of happened to me around September time last year where I felt the Lord said to me that something would shift spiritually over my life. And, um, you know, when the Lord speaks to, you, to me like that, I tend to pay attention because I'm desperate for something to shift over my life. Is there anybody else like me? Okay, because sometimes life just gets a bit difficult. You ever? Is it just me? Am I okay to confess? Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's okay to confess to you. Okay, then... then as the new year came in, I didn't feel the shift. I suppose in my mind, I thought at 12 o'clock, <laughs> when the bells went, suddenly it would go, and I would be living in the glory of God. But I want to testify to this. There is a cloud the size of a man's hand. There is something, and it may appear small, but it has great potential for our lives in this season ahead. And it's God's nature to invite us to intentionality, to enthusiasm and expectancy, to say, God, I don't know what that is that you're doing, but I love it. I love that you're moving in a fresh way. And so, Lord, I am going to live expecting that to increase. I'm going to live, Lord God, consistently and intentionally orientating my heart around the new thing that you're inviting me to. And church, I just want to encourage you. If you do that by this time next week, it will have grown into a fist. It will not look small to you. It will have increased in your eyes. Because the kingdom of heaven always comes in very seemingly small or often ridiculously insignificant kind of ways. Let me explain to you what I'm seeing. I'm seeing something fresh in our worship. Okay? It's no longer hard to break through. Amen? The minute the worship team start, we start to have this real sense that the Lord is with us. Now, that's the cloud the size of a man's hand. And you and I, we could say, well, it's not revival. You know, we're not seeing a manifestation of gold dust and diamonds fall from the sky. Or we can say, God, you're here. God, you're here. You're amongst us. Oh, Father, just I set my heart towards you. I incline my ear to hear your voice and I posture myself in worship and instead of being a spectator waiting for something dramatic to happen, I do something dramatic and I allow myself to engage with what is already happening. I celebrate the small thing that God is doing and as I'm faithful in the small things, he brings an increase and he starts to open up a song. Do you know, I found myself in these days just singing prophetically. I haven't done that for a number of years and it just flows so naturally. I don't have to try and find something to say. Why? Because there's a cloud the size of a man's hand and God is amongst his people and it may look small and it may not seem like much at all, but if you orientate, if you are expectant that it will grow and it will increase and you're intentional about your connection with it, you will start to see God do something gloriously wonderful in your life. Someone say amen and give me a little encouragement please tonight.
The second thing I think that Paul highlights to us here on this ongoing, growing journey and adventure with God is that we will require some diligence or discipline in that process. I find sometimes Christians have a kind of casualty about their spirituality. When was the last time you fasted? Don't say 1972 out loud. Some of us weren't even born then. I'm only 35. The <laughs> when was the last time you decided to take two days out and just be with God? When was the last time you decided to be silent and let the Lord speak to you? Some of our prayer closets are full, so full of words that the still small voice of Almighty God is drowned out by the cry of our soul for God to answer our prayers. When was the last time you were disciplined in your Bible study? Where you decided that you weren't just going to do occasionally the odd day with Jesus. But you would walk every day with Jesus. Just gazing into the truth of his word. Just abiding in the reality of that truth. And allowing that truth to form something in you. You see the sound of a heart that's disappointed will not be engaged with the word of God. You will be distracted by other things. You will want quick fixes to eternal problems. But the word of the Lord is sharper than a two-edged sword, separating bone even from marrow. If, you, if your life is in a place where it's stuck, get back into the word. And more importantly, allow the word to get back into your life. Allow his word to abide in you because it will not return to him void, but will accomplish what he has set it out to do. We must be enthusiastically disciplined. I think it's wonderful that God invites us to engage with his living word. But sometimes when I listen to people's daily routines with the Bible, it neither sounds living or exciting. You know, they kind of go through the motions of something. They're doing the routine with God. But you know, God is exciting. God is always exciting. There is nothing about him that's boring. I mean, there's a few things about me that's boring. And I'm not going to get on to you, but there is nothing about him that's boring. Everything about him is spectacular. Do you know, you will have never experienced or indeed seen a love like the love that God has for people. You can spend the rest of eternity discovering the depths and the greatness of that love. You may have experienced it five years ago, but there's more. There's more to experience. God has a, a spectrum of love. It's profound and powerful in our lives and the Bible teaches us that his love, that love that is perfect, it drives out of us everything that causes us to be hindered in fear. We have so much to learn about the love of God. When we were praying this morning with the ministry team, I was praying over them that we would come into a fresh revelation of the Father heart of God. You know, it's one thing to know God theologically as a father. It's another thing to live in the sonship or the abiding sense of being a daughter in the presence of God. God wants us to make everything that's theological reality in our lives. And I watch people and I watch myself sometimes and we sing things like this. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And we sing all of these wonderful, glorious truths about God. But if we're not careful... They're just heavenly hashtags or sound bites. They don't have a reality in the way I think or the way I live my life. Now, I believe for us to have those things, we need to allow the word to abide in us. His word is living. 
It's powerful, it's life-giving, it's mind-altering, and it's gloriously empowering for us to live our lives on a daily basis. And so let's get out of the mundane and let's get into the manifest glory of God. Let's get out of routine and let's start a riot. Let's start a riot, a party here on earth. God is good. I love your word, Father. I enjoy your word. Your word is life to my bones. You awaken everything in me that's good. We have to go into strict training. We need training because we will not meander our way. We will not fumble our way through the difficulties of life and particularly as the world and world becomes more hostile to the truth of who Jesus is. We need to have a fierce clarity and certainty about the truth of who Jesus is. We need our internal world to be so defined by the word of God. We need our minds to be clear on what is true and what isn't true. We need God to bring us to a place where his word is so rich and powerful. It's like the choicest of wine, the most glorious treasure here on earth. And you won't find that you get that place or get to that reality by any sense of casuality. You have got to be disciplined. You know, I believe that there are spiritual disciplines that open us up for the purposes of God. Fasting is one of them. I've said to a couple of people recently, when was the last time you fasted? You know, I'm a little bit of a hypocrite because it's been a few years since I've actually fasted properly. I mean, I do the odd day where I don't eat anything, but most of the time I don't eat most of the day anyway. I know it looks different, but it's the truth. Okay? I eat late at night. That's the problem. But actually, I said to some, some people recently, when did you fast for the last time? Because when I hear them speak or I hear them worship God or I hear them pray, there's just that dullness, that sense that, that, that it's not alive in them. Now, I want to encourage you, church, listen to me carefully. We need God's word. His word is life to us. And as we allow his word to hijack our minds and overwhelm our hearts and redefine our lives, we start to live the most glorious adventure, and that is to become his people, joyous, full of his power, available to him in every single moment of our lives to be used of him to extend his kingdom. We need to be triumphant in the word of God, not arrogant with the word of God. The reason why we can be triumphant in the word of God because his word is an overcoming word. It's an overcoming reality. It supersedes every other authority. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his church and his word will remain forever. There is nothing more powerful here on earth than the word of God. And the word of God has to define who we are. And actually, by default, it confines who we are. It means that all things may be permissible, but they're not beneficial to me on my ongoing journey. I want God's word to live and abide in me to such a way that when the world bumps into me, what comes out of me is the word of God. And I'm not talking about quoting scriptures. I'm talking about the truth and the reality of the nature, the character and the person of God. Paul says in Acts 24, verse 16, I discipline myself to always maintain a blameless conscience before both God and man. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says this, and this is the power of the word of God and the disciplined life that we need as we step towards this future God is opening up for us. Examine yourselves to test that you are in the faith. Do you know, if we could do a litmus test as to how much faith you are operating in, I wonder how colorful that will be. 
But the word will give you faith. The word will create an environment and an appetite where faith will start to flourish. Because the word brings hope to the human soul. And faith without hope. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things that we have not yet fully seen. Your hope is in God. His word is true. Jesus tells the truth about everything. He's the brightest person in every conversation that's happening in our world. He is not inferior or or, or lacking in any way. God is supremely King of kings and Lord of lords. His word, therefore, is life to us. And if you can believe his word for salvation, believe his word for today. God has a word for you today. And that word is that that word would abide in you. He's speaking to some of you now. I know as I'm preaching here. God's word is sharp and it will cut. It will cut into some things, but it always brings life and it always brings clarity and it always brings purpose and it always brings heaven's reality. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, Paul talking of Timothy says, give diligence to present yourself approved before God. So I may come back to this next week, but I want us to get back to growing. I believe we've been called to expectancy. I believe that God is inviting us to live intentionally. I believe that we can be enthusiastic because not out of human effort or energy, but the God who has spoken truth to us is a now available reality for anybody who wants to walk with him in his story. It is important for us not just to go through the motions. This is a new day and God is going to require of us some discipline to take us on the adventure where he's taking us.